Well, this morning we will wrap up our sermon series on fire, which is about the Holy Spirit. But today we turn to something a little different from being on fire and the Spirit coming. Today we're going to spend some time talking about what happens when the fire cools. What happens when we become lukewarm? It can happen to us personally as individual Christians, and it also can happen to churches. Churches can become lukewarm. And Jesus had a very serious admonition for such churches, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But the church that Jesus spoke to through John in the book of Revelation was a, a church in a city called Laodicea. It was in a place that is in modern-day Turkey. And the reason I want to give you, this isn't going to be a travelogue sermon this morning, but I want you to understand a little bit about Laodicea. Um, you can see there in the lower left side of Turkey, the southwest part of Turkey, is the city Laodicea. It wasn't far from Ephesus. And the warning that Jesus gave to this city was based on how that city existed culturally, how it existed spiritually, and it was a message tailored to the circumstances of the people in Laodicea, particularly the Christians there, because they would have understood the warning he gave. Laodicea was built about 300 years before Jesus came. It was built along a trade route in what is now Turkey. An earthquake destroyed it in 70 AD, and the people rebuilt it after the earthquake. And then it was finally demolished and destroyed completely during all the invasions by the Turks and the Mongols long after Jesus left the earth. But while Laodicea existed, it prided itself on its self-sufficiency. After the earthquake destroyed the city, they refused help from the emperor to rebuild, and they said, we can handle it ourselves, and they did. It was a city with great resources, great economics along a trade route. It was known as a producer of medicine, particularly salve that went on the eyes of those who were going blind. And it was also a cultural center with a coliseum and a theater and many temples for the pagan gods. But they had lousy water. They had lousy water. Laodicea was a city that didn't have direct access to cold water from the mountains or hot water in the springs. And so they built a very sophisticated set of aqueducts and pipes, some of which were underground, to bring water to the city. But by the time the water got to the city through these aqueducts, and I think we have a couple of photographs of what those aqueducts look like today. This, this is, Jesus' warning was based on something real. Uh, by the time the water got to the city, it was lukewarm, it was filled with sediment. It wasn't refreshingly cold, nor was it useful for bathing without being heated. So Laodicea had a lukewarm water problem that Jesus knew they would understand. And that brings us to today's text from Revelations 3, verses 14 to 19, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This is what Jesus said 
through John. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. See, Laodiceans would have understood the water analogy because lukewarm water was disgusting. When you first read that passage, you might think, well, what did Jesus mean? Be either hot or cold. I mean, with the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to be on fire, not cold. But with his water analogy, Jesus was recognizing that cold water is refreshing, hot water is healing and good for bathing. It's only that stuff right in the indifferent middle that isn't good for us. And while we can think of water as lukewarm, people can be lukewarm too. Christians can be lukewarm. And their churches can be lukewarm, just as Jesus called out the church in Laodicea for being lukewarm. Jesus said it came from their self-sufficiency and their indifference. Now, it is not bad to be somewhat self-sufficient to the extent that it causes you to act responsibly, to use your resources wisely to provide the things you need, not necessarily all the things you want. But the problem with the Laodiceans and with some of us today is that our self-sufficiency smacks of pride and rugged individualism and doesn't remember that all that we have and are blessed with actually comes from God. When we become self-sufficient and we stop turning to God, we can become indifferent to God's mission for us individually and to God's mission for the church. So we're going to take a few moments this morning to talk about why and how people become lukewarm and what they can do when that happens. But we're also going to talk about what happens when churches become lukewarm. But first, for individuals, because after all, it is the individual members of the body of Christ who come together to make the body to do the work of the church. Now, we all struggle through seasons that feel dry when we're uninspired, when we have doubts. We remember the days when we were on fire for the Lord and we long for those days to return. We wonder how we can reignite, but we don't often do something about it. We just wallow in that dryness. God feels distant and we sit and wait for God to come to us instead of being like King David and seeking after God's heart. 
So what makes a fire grow, whole, grow cold? Sometimes it's the things I already mentioned. We can become self-satisfied and successful. We can hear a whisper from God about some mission God wants us to be on, and we don't like the mission, and so we decide to retake control rather than submitting to God's control. And when we do that, we begin to grow distant from God. And our faith becomes lukewarm. But sometimes our faith can become lukewarm for reasons that are more understandable. There's no fault in them, really. We can lose a loved one. We can suffer with a debilitating illness. We can suffer with broken relationships. We can face financial ruin. The world seems too much for us. And in those moments, it isn't unusual for even faithful Christians to say, God, where are you? God, do you really love me? God, why aren't you fixing this? In those moments, it is important for us not to isolate ourselves. Because when we isolate ourselves, it's a little bit of a sign of pride. We don't want to look weak. We don't want to look vulnerable. Or we've been hurt by church people and we don't want to admit our hurt and give them a chance to hurt us again. Now, if you look on the screen, I have a picture of a fire. It's a charcoal fire. And you can't see it very well because it's kind of dark. But if you saw this fire in a different environment, that's the fire I was talking about. But if you look at the lower left, you can see some coals down in the corner. They're not red hot. They're not even gray. They're not even burning. And the thing you should notice about those coals, they have pulled away from the fire. They've been separated from the community of wood and charcoal where the fire is burning brightly. And that is a really good analogy for us about why, when we are suffering through a dry spell, when we are feeling lukewarm, that we make sure we stay connected with our church. You can shake your fist at God if you must. I have, and I still have my fist. God understands. At least when you shake your fist, you're in communication with God, and there's nothing you can say to him that hasn't been said before. But you need to turn toward God, and you need to seek help. This morning, we commissioned four new Stevens ministers. And if the truth be told, we actually had six ministers go through our training. This church played a very important role in helping another church, a Presbyterian church, restart its Stephen ministry. We trained, trained two ladies from this Presbyterian church, and they're being commissioned at their home church. And so people like these Stephen ministers who help people through times of trial are here to help you if you feel yourself growing lukewarm because of personal trial or tragedy. Your pastors, we're available. We want to talk to you and help you, give you suggestions. And sometimes you need to see a professional therapist when you struggle through hard times. I, make, I have no qualms in telling you I've been seeing a therapist since October who's wonderful in helping people navigate 
through periods of grief and times of loss. And that person was suggested to me by this team of Stephen Ministers. So the pastor for Stephen Ministers was pastored too by them. And I thank you very much. Dr. Paul is quite wonderful. You need to reconnect with the community of the church, with your Sunday school class or your small group, with the choir, during worship. And there is nothing as healing as getting involved with a ministry when you are hurting. Right now, I can tell you that one of the folks who lost a husband last year, I'm not talking about myself, in this church, has decided to be a partner and a member of our weekly outreach at the Palms. She comes with me there and hands out the bulletins and hugs everybody and greets everybody. And as she is ministering to the needs of the people at the Palms, I am seeing her heal right before my very eyes, and her passion for the Lord and for ministry is being reignited. You know... It is not easy for us to listen to words from Jesus that are hard. And it's especially not easy for us to listen to those words when they're about the church. So how does a church become lukewarm? A church can become indifferent. That's what Jesus accused Laodicea of. The priorities of the church can change. Or the world can change around the church. St. Paul has been here for well over 50 years. The neighborhood around us has changed. Sometimes a church can become too comfortable and set in our ways. Or we can be tempted to focus inwardly on the needs of the people within the church, which are very, very important and need to be served. But they can't be served only we also have to serve people outside the church. What Jesus said was, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. It reminds me of another scripture that I'm sure you're familiar with. It's a passage from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was speaking about salt. This is from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In John, he spoke of the vine and branches and said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. A branch that withers and is thrown away. Sounds like lukewarm water that gets spit out of the mouth or an ember that grows cold or salt that's, loosed, that's lost its saltiness and is trampled underfoot. We don't like those words from Jesus. We like the warm, fuzzy ones. But Jesus speaks messages that we need to hear to admonish and discipline and love us. 
so we will stay on the right path. That is proven in the ending of the passage about the church of Laodicea, where he said, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. Stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Eating a meal with Jesus is the most perfect form of community. So his warnings and his admonishments were not made in anger, but they were made in love to discipline and correct and help people and churches get back on the right path. As churches, all churches, I'm not speaking specifically about St. Paul, churches need to hear these warnings from the Lord. We all, church people, need to guard against indifference and apathy because there are too many people who don't know the Lord. There are too many people yet to be made into disciples. There is too much of the world that doesn't know him and hasn't been transformed. And as I told you last week, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And that can't be done by lukewarm churches. Yes, we need to care for each other, especially when we see a brother or sister whose personal fire is growing cold because of trial or tra tragedy or because they get off the right path. One day I will lift you up and the next day you will lift me up. That's the way it works. When we serve, when an individual serves, they heal even as they are healing others. This is not a new thought for Methodists. When John Wesley and his friends began the movement that became known as Methodism, they were part of the Church of England. They were Anglican priests. But they saw indifference and a lukewarm nature in their churches during the 18th century. The Church of England, in their view, had become stale. And the people who became Methodists were already Christians. They didn't want to be indifferent to others. They didn't want to be judgmental about others. They were not Sunday-only Christians. Others made fun of them and called them the Holy Club. But they went to prisons, debtors' prisons, to bring food to people. They were banned from some churches because they spoke words that insulted the congregation. They made their congregations uncomfortable when they talked about the poor and the obligation of the church to care for the poor. They made their congregants uncomfortable when they talked about hypocrisy and lukewarm faith. Wesley wanted people to practice their faith and care for one another by practicing the spiritual disciplines. Search the scripture, pray, worship, receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. He wanted them to be together in small groups and to work in community with laity doing a lot of the work. Do you know today in the United Methodist Church we have a group of people called lay servants? They used to be called lay speakers, which was an unfortunate title because it made people think they had to preach when the pastor was absent. And so nobody wanted to be a lay speaker, so they changed the name to lay servant to recognize there are many gifts of service that don't involve public speaking. 
Here at St. Paul, the last two years when I have attended our fall charge conference, we have not recertified one lay servant, a church our size. I went through lay servant training at Eastlake before I came here. It was wonderful preparation for me to begin to be part of a ministry team. And if you have an interest in lay servant ministry, please let me know. There are a lot of lukewarm churches today. They close when the congregations get too tiny. They close because they can't sustain themselves as a church. They usually don't have too many families or children around. They don't offer very many outreach programs, so people who want to find a church where they can serve are not attracted to them. In some ways, they become more like chaplaincies than churches. So is St. Paul lukewarm? I don't think so. But I think we could become lukewarm. I think we occasionally exhibit some of the signs of things that can make a church lukewarm. We're humans. We're not perfect. And I'd like to draw your attention to a few things. First, we have many thriving outreach ministries. I talked about some of them last week. We feed the hungry. We work to lift kids out of poverty. And I'm happy to report I learned this morning that this past weekend or this weekend during our youth lockout, our, our beginning of our summer youth events, three students from Jumpstart were present for the weekend with the middle schoolers here from our church. And we were glad to say yes. Amen. We minister to the homebound and to folks who live in assisted living facilities when it's hard for them to get to church through partnerships with places like the Palms and the work we do with Becca and Marianne. We send people on mission trips, but we could send more and we could send them further. And we support our missionary, Carolyn Goodwin, in Africa. And I want to tell you a little bit about an opportunity that we're going to have this summer. I'd like to challenge us to do this. Carolyn Goodwin looks after a whole bunch of children who are either orphans or refugees separated from their parents. There's about 37 of them. Twelve of those children have been supported with the things they will need to go back to school. It costs about $150 a child, but it provides clothing, backpacks, supplies, a bed. I mean, whole sets of clothing, clothing and things that kids need. There's still 25 kids that need support. And what I'd like to do this year as part of our back-to-school jubilee is grow the boundaries of the Jubilee and see how much we can collect for the Jubilee so that we can not only serve about 370 children here in our local area, but so that we can send money to send our back-to-school Jubilee to Africa for Carolyn Goodwin's kids. So this is kind of early for me to start about the Jubilee, but I'm starting early because it's going to take a little bit more money than we've ever collected before. We already have the backpacks, but we're going to need a lot of supplies. And at $150 a child, it will take a little to support Carolyn. We don't have to support them all, but we'd like to support as many as we can. And we will divide the money that's contributed for the Jubilee for both children here and children in Africa. Another way that we have an opportunity to reignite is through our Druid campus. 
And our Druid campus is going to become the home to two of our outreach ministries, as I told you last week, the Carpenter's Shop and Open Arms. For that reason, in the next week or so, you are going to see a sign go up on the corner across the street where Open Arms and the Carpenter's Shop are currently housed. It will be a for sale sign. The idea being that if we can sell that property and buy down the debt we incurred when we repaired the air conditioning and the roofs and the leaking in our buildings, it will leave more of your gifts that are given to this church for ministry instead of to support infrastructure. But what I want you to understand, and please hear this part, this is important so that I'm not flooded with emails. The Board of Trustees our trustee committee, and our church administrative council have voted to put the sign up so we can get an idea of what kind of attractiveness the property has and if there might be a buyer. But before the property is sold, we will have a church conference where the church membership will vote yes or no to sell the property. So don't be alarmed and feel like this is being done without the church having the vote that's called for by our Book of Discipline. If you look in your bulletin on page four, there's a letter that's shaded in blue from Arch Johnson, which explains this possible sale. We are simply looking for ways that will allow us to move our ministry, some of our ministry, to a place where there's a community in need while continuing to exist here and by reducing some of the costs that we expend on infrastructure. The last thing I want to share with you before I wrap up this morning is lots of times we have ideas for ministries. And here at St. Paul, your missions and outreach team adopted a, a philosophy that we were not going to start ministries of one. If you have an idea for a ministry that needs to be done, first of all, don't come to me and say, Pastor Pam, I have a ministry for you to do. Okay? I mean, there will be some things that we do that are new that I will be part of. But what I want you to do is find other people who share your passion for that ministry and create a team. Come up with a plan for where we would do that ministry, what kind of budget it would need. Then we'll talk about launching a new ministry. Too often I hear people say, we should do this or we should do that. And when I say, well, would you like to be in charge of that? I never hear of it again. So, my request to you is if you have an idea for ministry, come with a team and a plan, and we're wide open to consider those things. Friends, we can be a church that is hot or lukewarm. We can be a church that's salty or bland. We can be a church that is fruitful or fruitless, this morning I say to you, let's be hot. Let's be salty. Let's be fruitful.